What's the most important thing you can say about the Bible? The Bible scholar and pastor Peter Adam in his book Written for Us points out that there are lots of topics that feature in theology courses on the Bible, topics like the inerrancy and the infallibility of the Bible, that is, the idea that the original manuscripts of the Bible are without error and that the Bible is entirely trustworthy. And while topics like that are important and crucial, we don't always do well at reflecting the things that the Bible says about itself. And one of the characteristics of God's Word that the Bible says a lot about is the one that we're looking at in this episode of Thinking Theology, that is, the power of the Bible. What does it mean to say that God's words are powerful? In what ways are they powerful? And for what purpose? Hi, my name's Carl Denick. I'm a pastor, theologian, writer, and Bible college lecturer. Welcome to Thinking Theology, a podcast where we think about theology, the Bible, and the Christian life not just for the sake of it, but so we can love God more with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Is the Bible powerful? Before we ask that question, it's useful to ask another question, which is, are words powerful? When I was in primary school, kids used to run around saying things like, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. The idea was that someone could say mean things to you, but it was all just water off a duck's back. It didn't matter because it was only words. But that really couldn't be further from the truth. Words matter. Our lives are built by words and around words, and our lives can be destroyed by words as well. Think about how powerful these human words can be. Can you help me? Thank you. I love you. I do. I never want to see you again. Those words can begin relationships, like I do. They can end relationships. I never want to see you again. The words that we speak are powerful words. What's true of human words is even more true then of God's words. Think how powerful these words of God are. It is finished. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's happiness. Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Those are all powerful words from God. And the Bible begins, too, with an incredible demonstration of the power of God's words. God says at the beginning, Let there be light, and there was light. God speaks and the world comes into existence. And nine times God speaks in Genesis 1, and every time what happens is exactly what God said would happen. God says, let there be light, and there is light. God says, let there be day, and there is day. I remember seeing footage on the news once of a person at a protest holding a sign that said, deeds, not words. But what is striking about God's words is that his words are not separate from his deeds. His words are not separate from his actions. His words actually make things happen. In Isaiah 55, God says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, 
so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God's words are powerful in that they achieve exactly what he intends. They will not return to me empty, God says, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God's words are not powerful in a magical way, as though we just have to speak them, read them off the pages of the Bible, and God's words do what we want them to. Rather, God's words are powerful in that they achieve precisely what God wants them to achieve. And our theological convictions about the power of God's word in the Bible are important too because they shape, those convictions shape our practice. Our beliefs about the power of the Bible will affect how we use the Bible and they will affect how we respond to Bible teaching and Bible training. So if we don't believe God's words in the Bible are powerful, then we won't read them. We won't read them for ourselves. We won't read them to our children. We won't read them to people in our evangelism. If we don't believe God's words in the Bible are powerful, we'll read them just quickly to get through them so that we can get our devotions done or so that we can get to the Bible study questions where we get a chance to share our own thoughts about what we think the Bible is saying. But if we do believe that God's words are powerful, then we'll use God's words. We'll use them in our daily life. We'll spend time reading them and meditating on them. We'll speak them to ourselves in the morning or through the day. We'll speak them to our children. We'll use them in our evangelism and we'll study them together with other Christians. So God's words in the Bible are powerful, but what are they useful for? It's great to have a powerful piece of machinery, but if you don't know what it's for, then you won't use it properly. The greatest statement really about the usefulness of the Bible is found in 2 Timothy chapter 3. There Paul writes to Timothy, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The two great purposes of God's words in the Bible, Paul says, are so that we might be wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, and so that we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible firstly then tells us about the way of salvation. It tells us about how we can be forgiven by God through Jesus. It tells us about how we can know God. It tells us that we're not saved by what we do, nor that we are destined to be condemned for what we've done if only we trust in Jesus. It tells us not only how to begin the Christian life, but also how to continue it. To be wise for salvation is not just about the beginning of the Christian life, but it's about the whole of the Christian life. But God's words in the Bible not only make us wise for salvation, Paul says, they equip us for every good work. Paul says that God's powerful words correct, rebuke, and encourage. They teach us and they train us in righteousness. In other words, there is no good work that God has prepared for us to do for which the Bible is not the ultimate training manual. It's very tempting 
to read and use every other book in the world except the Bible in trying to work out how to live a godly life. But the Bible equips us for every good work and trains us in righteousness. It trains us how to be good parents. It trains us how to be good evangelists. It trains us uh, how to be good students or, or wise uh, stewards of the money that God has given us. It's useful to think about how exactly the Bible does that because often people have quite unrealistic expectations of how that works. People often seem to have the impression that just opening the Bible will magically solve all their problems. That may happen. You might open the Bible and be immediately helped and encouraged by what you read. But more often, being trained by God's powerful words in the Bible is more like being taught and trained in every other area of human existence. That is, it takes time to learn. For example, you don't go to footy training and expect that after the training session you'll be a perfect footy player, and you don't go to one piano lesson and then expect your playing to be flawless. Yet often people end up expecting that when it comes to the Bible. But that's not how it works. Instead, God often trains us through the Bible over time and quite slowly. It takes years to learn patience. It takes years to become an effective evangelist. It takes more than just one sermon or one Bible study on patience or evangelism to learn those things. As the great reformer Thomas Cranmer wrote, And there is nothing that so much strengthens our faith and trust in God, that so much keeps up innocence and pureness of the heart, and also of outward godly life and conversation, as continual reading and recording of God's word. For that thing which, by continual use of reading of holy scriptures and diligent searching of the same, is deeply printed and graven in the heart, at length turns almost into nature. What Cranmer is saying is that the Bible changes us slowly through the simple process of reading and recording and meditating on God's word. The Bible changes us slowly, but it also changes us deeply so that through the power of the Holy Spirit, our nature and instincts and our patterns of thought change. The words of God are printed and graven in the heart and at length turn almost into nature, almost into habit. But maybe the most important thing we can know about God's words in the Bible is that they are life-giving. Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter's writing to Christians and he says that they are genuine Christians because they have been born again into the living hope of sharing in the resurrection life of Jesus. But how did that take place? How are they born again? Well, Peter says in verse 23, he says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. 
They were born again, Peter says, through the word of God. The good news of what God has done in Jesus is preached to people, Peter says, and the Holy Spirit takes those words and makes them powerful so that people receive them and so that people are transformed uh, through the powerful resurrection of Christ into the image of Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, that's exactly the same as what God did at creation. He writes, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So just as God spoke light into existence at the beginning of the world, God also speaks now through the gospel and makes light shine into the darkness of our human minds and hearts. When God spoke the world into existence, when he said, let there be light, he wasn't speaking to things that could respond from themselves. He was speaking words that carried with them their own power to achieve exactly what God intended. And in the same way, when the gospel is preached, when God's words in the Bible are spoken, it's not that we hear the words and we make them effective, but we hear the words and the Spirit of God makes them effective and the Spirit gives us new life and we respond with faith and trust in the message of the gospel. God says, believe, and those words carry the power to enable people to believe and respond in faith. As we hear the Bible read and hear the Bible explained and hear the Bible prayed, God's Spirit makes God's message about Jesus powerful and effective. The words of God in the Bible are powerful. Even human words are powerful, but God's words are even more powerful. They carry with them the power of God by the Holy Spirit to do exactly what God intends, to bring life and to be useful in training us for every aspect of our lives. Again, if you want to know more, I highly recommend Peter Adams' book, Written for Us. I've used that in preparing this episode and many of the episodes in this series on the theology of the Bible. And you'll find a link to that book in the description. That's it for this episode of Thinking Theology. Next time, we'll be asking the question, does God still speak? He has spoken to us in the Bible, but does he still speak to us in other ways? Please join me then. 